0: Now, what is your mission statement? I'm sure you've all got a mission statement. You've spent a lot of time preparing it to guide you, give you some purpose in life. What is your mission statement? How would you sum it up? I was going to give you some time to think about it, but I bet you haven't got one. Most of us don't have a mission statement, but maybe our organization has one, a company or a campaign group that we're part of. Mission statements are designed to capture an organization's reason for existing, what we do and for whom. They can be a little lofty, like this one from Starbucks, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. Or this one, to embrace the human spirit and let it fly. That's Virgin Atlantic. (laughs) Now you'd think this next one was for a political party, to create a better everyday life for the many people. But no, it's IKEA. <laughs> Pretentious, let's just try this last one from Coca-Cola. To refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit. To inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brands. Oh, not moving. <laughs> it's not easy to encapsulate an organization's purpose. For instance, the church or Christianity, how would you sum up its essential purpose? Just think about that for 30 seconds. If you were summing up briefly the essential purpose of the church, what would you do? The civil rights campaigner, Will Campbell, was asked by a friend to sum up the Christian message in 10 words or less. He said, and I'm going to add a slightly American southern twang here because I want to soften the impact of the swear word, we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway. So he did it in eight words. But it captures a sense that however often we get things wrong, we're never a lost cause. Inspired by this, an American magazine asked contemporary writers to capture the Christian message in seven words. My favorite is by the poet Mary Carr, who said... We are the church of infinite chances. That resonates for me because it's about a community, the church, where no one is written off. God never gives up on us, and we must never give up on each other. Bill McKibben, the environmental activist, quoted the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Very clever, going to the Bible. But even then, our prejudices will give us away. So a conservative evangelical, for example, someone who's big on heaven, hell, and the death of Jesus, they would turn to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But maybe you think the way of Jesus is less about converting people for the next life and more about transforming our world in this life. So you might turn to the prophet Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what God requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Now, it's hard to top that for a mission statement. In case you didn't notice, when you walked through the door earlier, you became a time traveler. You walked out of November and into a mysterious moment in the ecclesiastical time-space continuum known as the Feast of Christ the King. You see it's at the top of your service sheet. This is the church name for today. It was only added quite recently in 1925 after the First World War, when the Pope noticed that the rise of sinister political forces and decided Christians should be reminded that their allegiance was to another power, a different sovereign. This other calendar, church time or the liturgical year, is a weekly reminder to all of us of our mission statement. And today is the final Sunday of that church year. It began last December with Advent, after which we traveled to Christmas and Epiphany, to Lent, Holy Week, Easter, and so on, and next Sunday, Advent arrives again. Feast days, fast days, high days, low ones, a journey of color and music punctuated by a calendar of readings from scripture. During our in-between vicarness, we've departed from those set readings with a lovely collection of talks introducing more obscure characters from the Bible. And you can listen again on the St. Luke's iPlayer, also known as our website. But as today is the final Sunday of church time, instead of hearing about Christ the King, we heard from a letter that Steph read to us, written to the early followers of Jesus in a region which is now part of Turkey, Galatia. Paul, the letter writer, was very big on mission statements. He was actually a mission statement in a person, or to use a more common phrase, a missionary. He was born not long after Jesus, maybe 5 AD, but he never met Jesus until after Jesus had been killed. Traveling to Damascus one day, you know the story, probably for a high level meeting to discuss plans to wipe out the new Jesus movement, Paul had a vision of Jesus and it changed his life. From being an opponent of the Jesus way, he became a follower. And more than that, over time, Paul came to understand that his mission was to take the story of Jesus beyond the people of Israel. Now one thing that the early church and the late church have in common is massive rows about everything this tradition started very early with the biggest row of all and this was over what it meant to be a follower of Jesus what was the essence of the mission statement some people mainly those who hung out with James who led the Jesus people in Jerusalem they said if you wanted to follow Jesus you still had to keep a lot of the laws associated with being a good Jew eating certain kinds of foods being circumcised that kind of stuff But Paul, who was racing around the known world with his pop-up pulpit, starting little house groups and underground indie churches, Paul was coming to see that the mission statement of Jesus was not about special diets or your bodily parts. It wasn't about laws at all, actually. It was about love. So when the new groups of Christians had arguments about the faith, Paul wrote them letters. They came to be called epistles. And lots of them ended up in the Bible. And it's in his epistle to the Galatians that it all starts to come together. While everyone is yelling at each other about who's in and who's out, Paul writes this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, not rich and poor, not black or white, not single or coupled, neither gay nor straight, nor bi nor trans, not Brexit or remain, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I added in a couple of extra but you get the point. All those divisions and hierarchies, all your ins and outs, all your power plays and insecurities, Paul says, they're history. Jesus welcomes everyone. In fact, there is only one rule, only one law. The whole Bible comes down to five words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't look to the laws, look to the spirit of God as individuals and as communities. And as for your mission statement, Let me put it like this, he says. The reason you're here is to be like an orchard and produce the best kind of fruit. And this is the fruit, which we saw brilliantly earlier. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The scholar Eugene Peterson, who died last month, made his own translation of the Bible. It was called The Message. It is called The Message. And this is how he translates Paul's words from this letter. What happens when we live God's way? She brings gifts into our lives, the way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates all things and all people we find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Now, writing this little book, Lifelines, which I'm gonna hold up because I forgot to bring it up here, which is published this week, by the way, my friend Malcolm and I tried to rescue faith and spirituality from the kind of weirdness of institutional religion mainly by borrowing the best lines from poets, novelists, and songwriters. We try to write for people who feel disconnected or disinterested in straight up and down, open and shut religion, but they still cherish a hunch that maybe there's some deeper, richer narrative by which to navigate our days. What we discovered is how often people turn to what Paul called these nine spiritual fruits, like patience or love or faith. But what was most striking is the one idea that kept coming back, The one that seemed to transcend all faiths and none. The idea of kindness. Kindness to each other, to our world, to ourselves. All of our lives are interrupted by sadness and loss, by failure and disappointment, alongside our joys and delights. Be kind, as the contemporary proverb puts it, because everyone we meet is fighting a hard battle. Practice love, says Paul. Practice peace. Be faithful to each other and be gentle and always, always be kind. At the end of her first week on honeymoon in South America, the Palestinian-American poet Naomi Shihab Nye and a new husband were robbed of everything they had. Someone else on their bus was killed. They had no passports or money or anywhere to stay. But that night, a man came up to them in the street and asked in Spanish, What happened? We tried to tell him, she remembers, and he listened. And he looked so sad. And he said, I'm very, very sorry that that's happened. That was it. A small act of kindness, of listening, and empathy. And as night fell, with her worries rising, the poet said a voice came to her and spoke this poem, the one Avis read to us earlier. It is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes, and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Now, the mug and the tea bag, okay. Kindness, says the Dalai Lama, would like water. Religion is like tea. The tea that we drink is made mostly of water, but it contains other ingredients which make it taste good. But however we make it, the main ingredient of tea is always water. When push comes to shove, we can live without tea, but not without water. Likewise, he says, we are born without religion, but not without the basic need for kindness. In other words... While the human race could probably survive without religion, we don't stand a chance without kindness. So as the new year begins, we could do worse than make kindness our mission statement. Thank you.